the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and today I'm delighted to be joined, as always, by the man in a beautiful what is that kind of shirt? It's like a hot pink almost. It looks like here on this screen. I don't know what the color is, but you've got this lavender backdrop. You got the royal purple in the background. Spencer Horn, the brains of the operation. Spencer, how are you? Thank you, Christian. Good to be with you. Yeah, this is kind of a salmon color, I think. This is, you know, my, my wife picks out colors for me, and it's it's always the shirts and the ties that she picks that that people notice and uh so i i always allow her to, to pick those so it's great to see you man in black you just kind of re- remind me of uh you know of, of ring of fire down <laughs> down down into that ring of fire yeah pull a little johnny cash out huh yeah johnny cash that's what you, that's what i'm I, I, the vibe i'm getting today from you <laughs> well, if I could sing half as well and perform half, half as well as Johnny Cash, I would consider myself truly blessed. What have you been up to lately here, Spencer? You've got this new decoration, these lights. Uh, tell us about these lights behind you. <laughs> you know, so we got to up the game. We're doing lots of virtual training and virtual keynotes. And so we just have some LED lights in the office and, and you know, just the just making it look a little more interesting and you don't want to have too many distractions when, when people are, are joining you online, you know, they you want them to focus on you, but at the same time you want some, some nice visuals. Well, you've got a great space there to work in and I, I, I definitely need to up my game here. We'll see if I can, I can do that. But speaking of upping our game, we've got a great guest. Why don't you introduce our guest that we have today? So excited to share with you our, our guest today, Tiago Aires, and he's coming to us from, um, gosh, Curitiba, Brazil, and I, and I want him to talk a little bit about that, and Tiago is, is amazing. I mean, he has, uh, we met several years ago at, at, a, at a leadership uh, cohort that he was participating in. He's somebody that does lots of leadership training himself. And he is, you know, he, he's an investor. I, I'm going to share with you a little bit about his, his bio, but he's a, he's a consultant in business management strategy and, and innovation and an educator in the national and international MBAs. Uh, he, he's teaching college uh, with all his leadership experience. What a, what a great combination. And he's also an angel investor of up to 20 plus startups and a business advisor, a mentor, a global speaker on governance, management, entrepreneurship, innovation, leadership. And he's, he's done this in over 20 countries. We actually had the opportunity to share the stage together in the Dominican Republic one time where I got to see your beautiful wife and, and son. And, and, and he heads the 2B Solution partner at Consigliere Consulting and is a director of the CWB Angels advisor, consultant, investor, guys, he's, he's doing it all. And he's done this on three continents and he helps corporations and governments start up in their strategic, you know, deal with their strategic challenges, um, no matter what size or, or, you know, segment that the industry is in. And so Tiago, welcome. Good to have you. So happy to be here, guys. Spencer, thank you, Christian. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's really an honor. We have been talking about doing this for a while now, and we've met, I think, the past five, five times in five different countries. 
And uh, we finally, you know, made the time to make it happen. So I'm very happy to be here. Oh, so happy to, to have you. You know, I, and it was so cool. We were talking about this format that we're doing, you know, video and podcasting. It's a little old school. You invited me on your Instagram live and it was amazing. You had people from all over the world that were asking questions and, and, and chiming in. It was a lot of fun. Maybe one of these days, Christian, we'll catch up to what Chiago's doing with the, with the technology. Yeah, one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> so, so right. one of the, I'd love you to start off with, Chago. Just, you know, we've got listeners around the world, and just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, Curitiba, where you're from, what it's like, how COVID has impacted you and your community. Uh, how's that compared to, you know, maybe uh, Sao Paulo or uh, other places in, in uh, you know, Brazil? All right. Uh, so I'm originally born and raised in Rio. I'm sure some of you uh, might have heard of, uh, but I've moved down south. Now I live in Curitiba, which is a little bit further down south. Um, it's in the same state that does, you know, borders with uh, Uruguay, Argent Argentina, and Paraguay. Actually, not Uruguay, but Paraguay and Argentina. So where the falls are, the big Iguazu Falls. So it's in the same state where I'm at right now. Curitiba is the capital. So I've been here for a little bit over 10 years. It's been great. Life has been treating me fine. We are going through some tough times as far as, you know, fighting the pandemic um, on, a, on a national scale. And, um, you know, the, the whole crisis on the healthcare system, you know, the, the political uh, aspects of it and the whole financial crisis that, you know, that follows one event like this. So it's been on one side, tough times for, you know, for the economy, a lot of people suffering, a lot of companies closing their doors. And on the other side, a lot of people looking at the opportunities that come with it, you know, repositioning themselves and reinventing themselves, try to, you know, go ahead with their entrepreneurship plans. And so this, this is the crazy times that we're living in, man. So it is different from living in Rio and Sao Paulo, for example, Curitiba is not like a major hub. I'd say we have around 2 million uh, people, uh, which differs a lot from Sao Paulo and Rio with, you know, 20 plus million uh, uh, citizens. So it is a more laid back uh, a place. Uh, I'm not sure if everybody's familiar. Brazil was, has uh, colonization influences from a lot of different nations. And this area where I'm at right now, has a strong um, influence from the Polish, the Italian, uh, the Dutch, and the German that came here after the war, during the war times, you know, the second, uh, the second War, and the Japanese too. So a lot of that cultural influence uh, affected the way that the local culture developed. So within Brazil, we have at least five different Brazils. So this is where I live right now. The Team Performance Podcast. It's such an enormous country. And, you know, Christian, you've done a lot of work down there. I'd love to hear from you. But for those of you who've ever seen the movie The Mission, which is a great movie with Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, I always envision, you know, Iguazu Falls were those early, uh, uh, you know, Jesuit missionaries going to the, uh, uh, the natives there. They would actually be taken and, and sent down over those falls. And uh, so that was early on. There was a lot of Portuguese influence in, in that in that region, I imagine. Yep. Yep. Well, I have to say, um, 
when I was working down in Rio for in the, just before the Pan American Games, which were in the winter in Brazil, summer here in the States, I took my family down to Brazil, down to Rio, and uh, we did go to Foz de Iguaçu, the Iguaçu Falls, and we flew through Curitiba. And that was the only time that I went through uh, Curitiba uh, Airport. Um, but the falls are absolutely breathtaking to see in person. They are amazing. And uh, my wife actually got quite emotional when she saw those uh, falls there in Iguazu. So um, actually, it's just a, it's just a absolutely amazing, uh, hard to describe uh, in words. It was absolutely amazing it place. It's humbling, right? When you face all that immensity. You know, then you put yourself in perspective. Then, then you're like, well, somebody had, had to create this amazing stuff. And they actually listed it as one of those seven uh, natural wonders of the world or something like that. So it is, it is beautiful. I love going down there. It's been a while. So let's, let's transition into talking about more of what's going on today. You know, the new normal Tiago is um, something we hear over and over and over again. And, you know, you talk about helping companies and some of them are, are pivoting and, and having success. What are you seeing with the, with the companies that you're working with that you're helping that you're helping that is that's working? What's in terms of strategy, in terms of how their how their teams are working? What's what are you seeing that's working right now with your clients that, that you're working with? Well, um, first of all, let me step into the subject with, um, you know, all the precautions, because every time we talk about the future, you know, um, mankind has been wrong 100% of the times that we tried to, you know, forecast what was going to happen, right? Um, so as somebody who works with innovation and with future, it is very important that, you know, we put some dots in the eyes and we say that nobody knows anything at this point, right? We're just at the beginning. We have not only the huge impact of COVID, but also all the subsequential crisis that came after it. And all of that is combinating with all the previous changes that already we were already undertaking in the past 10, 20 years. So all of the social, educational, um, and business transformations that the world was going through, they were all accelerated, I think, by this huge black swan that we got this year. So uh, I think I don't want to sound arrogant, uh, and I, I want to be 100% uh, honest with you guys that we're only trying to you know, read some signs. So nobody has a formula. Nobody knows where we're going. It's about you know, keep reading the signs and keep reading the scenario and then adjusting and pivoting. But um, as far as what companies are doing, it really depends. I, I have a very, uh, what could you say, uh, uh, a client base that is non-homogeneous, uh, which means I have clients in different segments, different sizes. Some of them are in government. Some of them are small startups. Some of them are big corporates. So it really depends what kind of game you're playing to actually drill down to a specific set of solutions. So my first answer to you would be, it depends. Of course, it depends, but it depends on why. I'd say the big corporate guys, they are playing safe. They are worried about you know, maintaining operations, raising efficiency. So a lot of layoffs we are seeing, uh, a lot of people being you know, 
uh, dismissed. And they are taking the necessary precautions to at least keep the operation running. It also really depends on which kind of segment we're talking about. So if we're talking about, for example, uh, the agro industry, the, the, the agricultural business, it is booming. It hasn't been that strong for the last, I don't know, five years at least. Because we got to keep, you know, feeding the world and feeding Brazil and feeding the other countries. So uh, that segment is really hot. On the other hand, uh, goods and services related to the everyday life, they, have, they are really struggling, man. So those big companies that are working, you know, the, the efficiency game to, you know, at least try to get them by. I'd say the small, more agile companies, usually more young companies, the startups and the, and the micro businesses, they are either dying or pivoting strong. So for whoever was working on, let's say, uh, retail, especially the offline retail, took a huge hit. Of course, we are under social, social isolation protocols in most of the cities in Brazil. And I, I, I believe still most of the cities in the world. So that puts a strain, you know, on, on shopping centers, on malls, and whoever has a physical store. So these guys are either closing doors. We have around over 600,000 businesses that have declared bankruptcy and closed their doors in the past like months. This. Yes. Thiago, what's, what's unemployment? Do you, have a, 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 do you know what some of the figures are? I'm, I'm sure it yep. varies regionally, but as a, as a whole, what do you see? Yeah, it, not only it varies regionally, but we have a lot of, we have a huge chunk of the economy that we call it the informal economy. You know, those micro self-employed professionals yep. who don't, don't make up to the numbers, you know, they're Even not Uber registered. drivers or things like that. And Exactly. So people are talking anywhere between 12 and 20% employment, depending on how official or how comprehensive you get the numbers. But, uh, and it's not only unemployment, man, you know, debt is going up. Um, we have huge inequalities. That's a characteristic of our country. We are, we are, we are strongly unequal. And what we are seeing with this, you know, the depression, the financial depression that is coming after COVID is the inequalities, they are deepening. So the rich are becoming wealthier and the poor are becoming, you know, more miserable. How, for example, how do you ask a family to, you know, maintain basic hygiene habits or stay home if they have like eight or nine mouths to feed in one small space to live, you know, they cannot isolate. They cannot uh, enjoy the luxury of not going to work. So these people are taking the bus every day, you know, and, and uh, they are under risk. So we are seeing a very sad um, situation, I think, economically with all the unemployment and debt and that kind of stuff. So going back to the, to, to the, to the companies, just to, uh, you know, close the thought, uh, and the startups, I would say, I talked about the corporate sector and uh, offline retail and the startups that usually are uh, based on technology are a little bit more digital oriented. And it's easier for them, you know, because they're small and so flexible, it's easier for them to pivot, to completely redesign the way they do business and their business model and their product, etc. Those guys are trying to find the opportunities. Because, you know, in every crisis, there's a lot of crying. There's a lot of opportunity, too. Those guys are in a unique, special position to, you know, adjust themselves 
to the new opportunities of the market. So, for example, a lot of people for the first time are experiencing online shopping, ordering online food, uh, enjoying online education. A huge chunk of the population was forced to get into this world that they didn't know. That represents a massive chunk of, you know, no potential customers for digital businesses. So I would say, you know, in a, in a, in a macro glance, those are the companies who are best positioned to, you know, profit or reposition themselves to take the opportunities off what's going on right now. The Team Performance Podcast. I have a question here, Tiago. Uh, if you it. take that kind of a smaller, more dynamic, more digital industry segment, there are still some that fail and some that are able to pivot successfully. In your view, what makes the difference? What is it that allows um, what company A within the same segment, what allows company A to be able to pivot successfully while comp company B is not able to do so? What is, what is it or what are the factors that contribute to an organization being able to pivot successfully? That, that's a great question. I don't think that there's like a, a formula or anything, but there are definitely some factors that we could try to point out. I'd say one of the things that we see most of the companies that succeed to pivot uh, in, a, in, a, in a profitable manner I'd say they were moving from day one. So let's say when COVID really transformed itself from something very far away in the other side of the world to a really uh, uh, real and present crisis, those companies already, you know, they got together their leaders and they started discussing scenarios, plans, what we're going to do way before the lockdown and way before the pandemic hit our country, we already were seeing what was going on in other countries. So it looks to me that the first trait of these successful companies are they're watching closely the movements of the world and they got prepared early. Second, I think they got their, their finances in order because in times like these, of course, you know, sales are going to go down and customer uh, behaviors are going to change. So they try to make, you know, enough cash flow to survive on tough times, let's say six, 12 months. Third of all, I'd say they've, they've done what they could to make sure their workforce was both safe and productive. So they, they took care with, of all the necessary variables to make sure that home office was not going to be something uh, done on an emergency basis, but with a, at least a little bit of planning with the right infrastructure that everybody had their connection, that they trained the methods, what were going to be the new systems that we're going to work on. So I think that got them uh, working productively on a 100% on remote work uh, basis way better. And I'd say uh, the fifth uh, trait or the fifth factor that I would point out, these guys are monitoring closely their customer, you know, and maintaining a close communication with them, being transparent and trying to map what are the behavioral changes of their customers. Are the customers going to, you know, need more attention? Are they going to need new products and services? Uh, are there new pains or, or opportunities that we can help them with? 
And I think that's something that I've seen in, in, you know, most of the startups that had successful pivots, they, you know, they were actually listening the customers and their requests and their needs during these tough times. So adapting, uh, listening and adapting rapidly, I think would be the fifth factor that I would, I would say. You know, those, Does those that make sense? Great observations and, and uh, love those. You know, one of the things that I really wanted to ask you and, and have you talk about, Thiago, was, you know, you talked about these companies that pivoted 100% remote. I, I want to hear from you about how you think that's going to happen going forward. Is that, is that a trend that is going to increase or uh, continue? Uh, and, and what's the impact of that? What are you seeing is happening in terms of productivity, in terms of how, how we're managing? You, know, you talk about listening to customers. What about listening to our employees, what they need, what they want, what, what those trends are? What, what are you seeing in that, in that space? Love the question. Love the question. I would say, um, yes, it's definitely a trend. It's important to say that, you know, the remote work, it's not something new. We as a world have been doing it strongly for the past 10, 20 years. I remember 12 years ago, I used to be part of a, a team on a multinational that was a global team, which by the time it, it already wasn't something new or unheard of. You know, IBM was already working like that since, you know, 20 years ago. And most of the big companies, ExxonMobil, HSBC, they have, you know, uh, corporate bases all over the world and they run 24 seven. They had this follow the sun model, which means at least eight hours of the day, one of the countries, they take charge of the operation and they keep, you know, the IT systems running, et cetera. So it's not something new, but it definitely was a revolution this year when we had to forcibly move to this remote work setting or this remote work um, um, situation and the volume that it took place. So the, the number of people that wasn't used to that kind of work that moved on a forced emergency way to remote work was something very different. So I definitely see a trend there. I think it's one of the changes that are not going to be undone you know, a lot of people are asking, when is the crisis going to be over? When things are going to be go back to normal? There's no normal to go back to. You know, the, the B scenario is not anything like it was before the pandemic, right? So that's one of the things that I think once you see it, you cannot unsee it. So definitely is a trend. In the other hand, I don't buy the frenzy that says we are going to be 100% digital from now on. I believe in a hybrid comeback, you know, because now after, you know, 90, 120 days of 100% remote work, the world is finally realizing that we do have some pros as far as productivity, as far as, you know, avoiding commute and a lot of uh, the, the downside of the, the physical going to work. But, but what's the cost? Hand, what's the challenge? Perfect. We are seeing the challenge, you know, once we, our work lives with you, how, how, do you, how do you separate that from your personal life, from, you know, your chores and your responsibilities as a father, as a husband, and all the other stuff that you do, because now you, you actually live with your work. So that is one of the challenges that we are seeing in research that are popping up. And also the costs of reduced interaction between the colleague peers, because, you know, interaction, it sparks innovation, it sparks multiple points of view. Uh, the, the positive conflict, conflict that comes 
with a lot of different minds coming together to solve a problem. It is harder, or at least it is different from what, what we are used to. The Team Performance Podcast. It takes more energy to do it remotely like this. It, it still can be done, but it, it is. It takes more energy, and, and so I want to talk. I want you to talk a little bit about this. You know, we are we are social creatures. We yep. we need social interaction, and you know, certainly this digital is is a. Um, is a substitute and, and it helps, you know, so we don't have no interaction, but I, you know, I, I like the hybrid idea because, you know, I have a client that, that uh, they do, you know, it's all digital marketing and media and they have, they have operations in India and Romania, but they have people work remotely and they come into the office once a week, every month. So one week per month so that they can have that, that interaction. And they did that before COVID. And I just think it's so important for the cohesion of that team that you see each other's eyeballs from time to time. Yep, definitely. Uh, we, I was pulling up some, re- I was, as we were speaking, I was pulling up some research that, that I was reading just yesterday. There's a great article at MIT uh, Tech Review talking about, you know, the pros and the cons and is the remote work here to stay. We've seen a lot of companies come public and say, you know, that the remote work was now a central piece and was going to stay forever. You know, Facebook has shared, you know, a huge plan that could change the way we do business in the Silicon Valley, you know, with all the concentration that we used to have on that geography. That is about to change, being Facebook, one of the top hires in the area. So all of the commuting, all of the high costs of of living in the huge tech centers, that's going to change. However, there's another research that was published in a portal called Visual Capitalist that interviewed over 400 startup founders, and I think it was in the UK. And they've listed the three top pros of remote work and the three top downs of remote work. In the pros, they mention uh, the flexibility, time with the family, and life-work balance. In second, avoiding traffic. As you know, it's a major issue for most big cities in the world. And uh, increased focus, productivity, and time management. Those are the pros. You know, talking about the freedom and, and the trust that you can work and, and live with your family and, you know, manage that yourself. In the other hand, the three topics that appear in that research as the, the, the most important cons were less spontaneity in interactions, so less interactions with colleagues, less co-creation due to that, uh, the lack of separation between personal life and work, and the drop in quality and the capacity of producing high-quality uh, high uh, work. So it is definitely a challenge. Uh, it's important to remember, right, uh, guys, that uh, remote work is not binary, right? There's multiple levels of what you can do. I love the hybrid model that you mentioned. A lot of companies were doing that before, right? Joining once or a couple of times a week to discuss yeah. specific problems or projects. And then besides that, everybody does whatever they do in their own time and, you know, fill out their responsibilities, right? But th- that one week they have everybody come so that they have that time to, to rub shoulders. So that's the one week that's mandated. The rest of the time they can work wherever they want. Christian, I know you got lots of thoughts. I've been monopolizing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're not monopolizing at all. It just makes me think, uh, Thiago, as you're talking about this, uh, one of the hybrid solutions that I'm seeing right now uh, is with the International Olympic Committee. 
but it's not driven by cost. It's driven by safety because they don't want to have so many people in the office at the same time. They're limiting the number of people who can be in the office at any given point in time. And so the departments basically have signups. <laughs> okay. Who's going to go in on this day, that day, the other day, and they try to coordinate uh, it's still something that's imperfect. You know, they're trying to work it out. And I think what we're going to see in the next few weeks and months, maybe even the next year or so, people experimenting with a variety of ways to implement this hybrid model. For sure. Well, definitely the in-office in work is, is, is going down and, you know, it's going to be reduced. Uh, we have been seeing most of the big companies already, you know, returning their office lease or selling the buildings or, you know, vacating the offices because they're sure at least they're not going to use a hundred percent as they were using it before. But you're absolutely right. Everybody's experimenting. Nobody knows the formula. I think it's a very uh, intimate equation for each company, depending on the culture that they have developed. If they already were trying some remote work before, if, uh, how, is that, and I love to talk about that because I know uh, Spencer's experience on leadership. So, so how does the leadership, the relationships they were established, how much trust is there between the teams, you know, to work remotely and, and sometimes uh, um, unsynced? So I don't, I don't feel there's a one size fits all approach, but everybody's experimenting. But I do believe that most of the companies will try to keep at least partially you know, the human interaction, that's going to be a challenge for leadership because, you know, how do you deal with part of your team coming to work, part not coming, or whenever they're coming, it's not on the same day. And, you know, who gets the most opportunities because you get seen more often because you're coming to the office and the other guys is, you know, they're in other cities. In the other hand, for the worker, it gives you the opportunity to, you know, to move to a smaller town with your family, have more quality of life and pay less in rent. So maybe it's going to uh, drive a little bit more uh, productivity as far as avoiding commute and maybe even less uh, cheaper salaries because now you don't have to pay to that, uh, for that expensive cost of living, huge uh, tech hubs. So a lot of changes that we'll see in the following years, and I do believe you're right in that, that that's not going to go away soon. But we're still going to experiment for a long time, I believe. The Team Performance Podcast. You know, what is your experience personally about, let's talk about mental health for just a moment. You know, with all this change that's happening and, and basically social distancing, working remotely, how is this impacting us emotionally, uh, mental well-being? Because that will have an impact on our work, right? You said that some of the research said that we have more flexibility, you know, we have more life balance. Christian and I have been talking about this for, for weeks. We actually find that we're working more hours now. Even though we don't have the commute, that has not gone into gains of, of, you know, time with family. It's a lot of us are attempting to make up some of the loss of the business. And so we're actually working longer hours and using that time to, uh, to work. And so you, you're, we're, we're actually burning out. We're not having those social connections. A lot of people are feeling, just feeling down and, and, and dragged and, and hopeless and happiness. You know, we've talked a lot about that. It seems to be at an all-time low worldwide and in the United States. What are you experiencing? Well, no question about it. First of all, uh, this, this finding that you just mentioned 
it is, um, I also saw it on that MIT Tech Review article that says that we are saving hours but not commute, by not commuting, but we are not dedicating those to our health and well-being and families. We are trying to make up for the lost time. And it's an infinite run. It never finishes. So it is driving us crazy. So as far as men mental health, I have been paying way more close attention to that in the last four to five years. I started you know, researching for myself and discovered a, a huge universe of you know, mental health and, and wellness, et cetera. And what was amazing about it is that we were already uh, witnessing a pandemic, a health crisis regarding anxiety and depression. The World Health Organization puts at around 30% of the world population suffering either from anxiety or depression. That's one third of the world. That's over 2 billion people. That's before the pandemic. In Brazil, numbers who are very sketchy, you know, because it's a, a subjective matter, it's hard to map, etc. But rough numbers talk about doubling that rate of, you know, cases. So we would say Brazil has around a little bit over 200 million uh, people. I would say easily at least what, 60 to 80, maybe to 100 million are experiencing some level uh, either of anxiety or depression. So it is hurting us all over the world strongly. And you know, you know what's I most sad about it? The business world has not um, paid enough attention to it before. So now I think we're suffering the loss because, you know, in your formal education, have you had in school any subject teaching you how to be mentally healthy that's so important and some for some reason we don't teach the kids that no, I, I, have a master's, I have a master's in economics it's all about uh utility and, and productivity and and you know marginal but that's return. connected right it is connected it, it, you're absolutely right and i, I want to talk about that but i want to pivot for just a sec about mental health because i know you love life and i know that's one of the ways that you deal with when you travel you take your beautiful family with you uh i'm surprised that you don't have a drink in front of you because you like to have good drink and good food and christian and i we love good food right christian and you love muscle cars so you do have a way to to kind of uh, uh unwind and, and, and just uh, blow off steam. How do you, how do you do that? Share with us some of the things that you do. Oh, brother, let me be fully honest with you. You know, I'm not immune to it. I do have my hobbies. I do have my outlook in life. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a young guy. I've learned from, you know, a lot of guys that came before me, but I don't consider myself like I found, a, you know, the way to be immune. It is hurting me too. You know, I have found myself and, you know, under a little bit of tr stress, you know, worrying about the future. Because it's not only remote work and it's not only social isolation. The whole context of the situation, the sad things that we're seeing, the people that we're losing, you know, friends and parents of friends dying. Lack of control. It, the lack of control, the sense of, you know, not having the power, it really takes a toll on all of us. So what I've been trying is, you know, besides the hobbies, besides gastronomy, besides foods and drinks, I'm trying to stay close to the family. So considering I can't be physically close, I try to bridge the gap with technology. So I have family all over the world, including the U.S. and, and a lot of cities in Brazil. I try to stay close to them. 
I try to maintain my time with the family, really quality time, you know, so whenever I'm with them, no cell phone, just be 100% present. I do a little bit of meditation, which, you know, helps me, as you said, unwind a little bit. And I've kept my physical exercise, I wouldn't say in the same pace or the same rhythm, but at least a constant, at least three times a week, three to four times a week. I do my in-home uh, training, you know, with the help of the, the guys at my gym and I've bought a bunch of equipment and that helps a lot. Not only your machine, you know, your enzymes and hormones and, and, and your mood and et cetera, but also uh, mentally, you know, because when you're fully dedicated to, you know, doing your exercise or working the brains. So it's not, you know, a fatal formula like, you know, I found the recipe, but I've, I've been seeing that that has been working to a lot of people, you know, paying attention to the, your hobbies and your family, paying attention to your body, your, the, the way you eat, the way you sleep and maintaining hope. I think, I think if you have a faith, you know, dedicate time to your faith and usually those things together, they bring a combination who help us get, get us through, I guess. The team performance podcast. Well, I really appreciate you mentioning that Tiago because uh, for those of us who are directly impacted by COVID professionally, and we are looking to pivot in order to survive economically, we have to understand that pivoting takes a tremendous amount of energy and time. You know, it's not like you just say, oh, I'm going to pivot, and then it just magically happens. You have to put in a huge amount of work. And that's why Spencer and I are working more now than we used to, because we have to spend so much time trying to pivot uh, to this new, this new reality. And these things that you're talking about help refuel us so that we have the energy that we need to go ahead and, and implement this pivot. But I got to come back to the food thing because Brazilian food is wonderful. I love me a good Brazilian chicken stroganoff, I have to say. Um, <laughs> what, what are the churrascarias doing in COVID? I mean, how do you operate a churrascaria um, that's got a buffet style, you know, plus bringing food to your table. How does a churrascaria operate during COVID? Well, I'd say, you know, any restaurant, any um, in-person dining place was hit tremendously during this crisis. Most of the cities in Brazil, they are under either lockdown or severe isolation policies, which include mandatory closing of restaurants. So I'd say the restaurants that were operating offline, you know, in-person dining that didn't have any, you know, delivery channels or anything like that, they were the most hurt because as yourself and Spencer, they had to invest tremendous amount of energy, time, and money to reinvent themselves and create those alternate, alternate channels. Uh, restaurants that were already putting a foot, you know, on the delivery channels, on the takeouts and et cetera, it was a little bit easier. And I'd say in the other side of the spectrum, we, we have those restaurants that we call the dark kitchens, the restaurants that open just for deliveries and takeout. They are only kitchens. They, they don't have uh, tables that you can sit, you know, they are operating hundred percent on takeouts and those guys take huge profit of the digital revolution that was already in way. 
So platforms like Grubster and iFood and et cetera were already a huge thing before the pandemic. So it really depends. So specifically talking about the churrascarias, the steakhouses, you know, where you go and people go around you with the meat and et cetera, those guys are mostly uh, closed down and they're either uh, delivering or they're also selling related experiences. What, what, what do I say? What do I mean by that? Uh, if you have a barbecue house, you are now offering barbecue courses or, you know, selling equipment for people to do their barbecue at home. The barbecue is a really institution in Brazilian culture. All right. So a lot of people do it at home. They have a, a, a barbecue or, or a grill at home. So if you were a steakhouse place, now you can offer not, you can offer not only the food, but related experiences. So, for example, courses, or you can uh, be the preferred uh, sourcing for your customer's meat. So instead of him coming in to enjoy a meal, he buys the meat from you, you know, because he recognizes your quality and he grills it at home. So there's all this kind of options to pivot. There's this great place, Christian, in Philadelphia. Sorry, I know you have a thought, but it's, it's called Cook, and, and you can go and they have 16 seats around a, a, a kitchen and you pay, I mean, it's like $300, you know, I mean, it's, it's a big deal, but they bring in these, these great chefs and they cook for you. And so obviously you can't do that now. And so they're doing these experiences that you talk about, Chicago, they do that online where they're actually having cooking classes and you can, you can buy a seat with these chefs and, and watch what they're doing or join them or follow along. Yep. Yep. I really want some picanha now. I'm just dying to have a nice picanha. And uh and then uh uh dulce de leche for dessert. I'm yeah, I'm all about it. All right, yeah. sorry for the food digression. Spencer, I'll, I'll get back to you to wrap us up here. The team performance podcast. Well, so the last thing I want to talk, you know, we we have so many things we could talk about, Chiago. I mean, gosh, you you and I've talked a lot before, but I, I want to talk about leadership. You know, you talked about the mental health issue and how leaders are handling that, how that's going to impact business going forward. What does leadership look like in the new normal? How are we going to keep teams together and cohesive? And, and what do we have to do as leaders to pivot to help our organizations succeed? You, you set it up perfectly saying we don't know what the future is going to bring, but what do we got to do right now in our current situation to make sure that that are that, that that we're poised to to handle to be resilient to to whatever could be coming next. All right. Well, um, as you uh, brilliantly uh, uh, reinforced, whoever says they know the next leadership model for twenty twenty one, they're either lying or they're one hundred percent wrong. But we do have some things that we know are working at this moment, right, at the situation that we're at, I would say leadership looks like more tech and more human. What do I mean by that? In one hand, we have to fully embrace the remote work, the tech uh, um, tools that we have, and extract the most productivity of this new type of work, right? So we have to master it, how to lead people from afar, without the tools that we used to use when we were, you know, geographically close. So I think we have to master the technology, the channels, the, the ways of making work work 
during uh, isolation. In the other hand, I believe that leadership is also becoming more human because finally we don't have to wear the superhero mask anymore. We can be humans. We can have anxiety. We can talk about it in a meeting. We can have you know, personal challenges at home. You can talk about your home chores with your co colleague at work. You can uh, recognize that this is taking a toll on all of us, you know, and, and, and discuss it openly in a, in, a, in a work meeting with your colleagues. You can extend, you can uh, extend an arm of support to both your team or your colleagues or your, your peers, um, trying to give them a hand on how to go through this process, these times. So I do believe leadership is going to become more human and uh, more, I would say, relatable, you know, because we're now finally seeing that leaders are also humans. They have their own challenges. They question themselves and they are as human as, as all of us. So I, I love that combination of the world is going more tech oriented, but By that, we are becoming more and more, we need to become more human-oriented. You know, we need to reinforce what separates us from the machines. I think that's a very fitting way to conclude our podcast. I like the idea of becoming simultaneously uh, more technical and also more human. It doesn't work if you have just technical and you don't have the human aspect of it. I think the human aspect is absolutely critical. So, Tiago, thank you so much. Now. If people want to learn more about the work that you're doing, Chiago, there in Curitiba, um, the various projects that you're involved in, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, well, uh, guys, you can reach me at Instagram. I'm, I'm very uh, present um, there. It's one of the social media that I kept my attention during these crazy times. I'm still, I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, but uh, I'd say if you want to give me a shout out and, and follow on the projects that I've been doing, I'd say Instagram is the best way. It's uh, underline O-I-R-E-S, so O-A-Y-R-E-S. And um, yeah, projects all over the world. Uh, we keep doing them. And I was, I was very happy to uh, talk with uh, Spencer earlier on how also the, the business opportunities are coming back and there's a lot of work to be done and we'll be there for our customers and our, our partners, right? That's Correct. right. How about you, Spencer? Uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you? So, I, sorry, I just want to say one last thing before I do that. First of all, thank you so much, Tiago, for, for coming. I loved your comments. And My pleasure. Just your insights are amazing. You know, one of the things that I think is going to be a challenge for leadership, as we rely more on tech, there is a tendency to get lazy on the human side. And so it's actually going to cause us to be more vigilant, to have greater empathy. And I'm not talking about just understanding where people are coming from, but the empathy is the, the, the skills that can't be automated, which as we go more AI and more technology, the skills that can't be automated are the ones that are going to make you more valuable as a leader, as an employee, as anything that you do. But it's harder. The more we rely on tech, the harder it is for us to actually be human. And so we have to work at it harder. I just want to... I, I love what you said, and I agree with you. We need both of those things, but it, it's going to be a challenge. You can catch me at Spencer at altiumleadership.com. That's A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com, or visit me on my website. You can chat me there, 
look at that at altiumleadership.com. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Spencer. And uh, I can be contacted at uh, gp4.com. That's gpfour.com. Or you can reach me by email at cnapier at gp4.com. Tiago, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll see you again next week. 